Good morning, City Walk Church. How are we doing this morning? Come on. Well, if you've been here uh, all nine weeks of this series, you probably have that video memorized because we, we show it uh, at the beginning. Most of our series won't go nine weeks, but this one did. And uh, so you got to see that video and probably have it memorized. Like, where's the second half of the video? I've seen the first half of it every single week. Uh, but we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, before we dive into our last part of our, our, our series, Unfiltered Jesus, I uh, wanted to tell you a little bit. I mentioned this the last couple weeks. Uh, we have, as you know, a month from today, we have Easter Sunday. Uh, and here at CityWalk and, and every church, really, uh, Easter Sunday is a really special day. Uh, because of what we celebrate on that Sunday, uh, because it's one of those Sundays that even people that don't normally go to church, uh, they're willing to come to church and, and actually make it part of their normal life to do that on Easter Sunday. And so it's a really special day. And so I want to encourage you uh, to kind of think through who do you know that you could invite to City Walk Church on that Sunday. Uh, we've created a website just for Easter Sunday. It's Easter at CityWalk.com, and uh, you can go to that. You can get all the details about Easter Sunday here at CityWalk. Next week, we'll have some invite cards that you can use for your friends, but it, it's going to be a really special Sunday. We're going to have a lot planned. We have a lot planned for the kids, uh, but we want to just make you aware of it, and, and you can come either at 9 or you can come at 1045. What we're really hoping is that many people will say, you know what, on that Sunday, I want to be a part of helping reach other people, and so I'm going to serve on one service, and I'm going to go to one service. And uh, so that, that might be a, an option for you. Maybe you're, uh, you've been coming to City Walk for a few weeks, say, you know what, I'll, I'll give serving a try, I'll, I'll greet, or I'll, I'll work with the kids that Sunday uh, for one, one of the services and then go to one of them. And so if, if that's something you'd like to do, right in your app, you can sign up uh, to serve. And uh, that would be uh, just very special that day to be able to serve, but then also to be at one of the services. Uh, the question that I, as I was thinking about how to kind of start this last message uh, in our Unfiltered Jesus series, uh, I, I thought of this question, and, and, and maybe you can relate to this, maybe on a lot of different levels. But have you ever pursued something... And, and pursued it really hard, man, you wanted something, and, and you did a lot of different things to get to that, but once you had it, you didn't know what to do with it. You're like, yeah, I actually am seated, seated next to that person, and I don't know now what to do now that we're together, uh, but hopefully not. Hopefully that's not your story. But, but probably you've, you've had situations like that, man, where you, you worked your tail off to get that job, to, to get that, that, that new, new position, and, and man, you finally got the new job, you finally got the new position, you've got the title that you wanted, and now you're sitting at the desk on the first day saying, now what do I do with this? Or, or maybe it was a relationship, maybe it was, man, you pursued, you pursued, you pursued, and then you started dating, and it was like... I don't know. I, I don't know what to do now. Uh, the, the pursuit is over. For, for us, I can remember, and maybe you can relate if you're a parent or grandparent. For us, I remember when we had our first child. Uh, and if you have children, you probably can relate with this. Austin was our first child. and He's now 17, so this is quite a while, while ago. But I remember the week before he was born being a train wreck. 
My wife will tell you, I couldn't sleep at night. I was running stop signs. I, I was, you know, your first kid, you don't know what you're doing. You go to classes, you read books, but at the end of the day, you don't have a clue, and you realize that pretty quick. And, and so you go to the hospital, and, and we got up. It was going to be a C-section, and we knew it, so it was planned. And, and so we went that, that, that morning, and I remember the night before just sitting on our bedroom floor, like looking at the wall, because I, I was, what are we about to do? We're about to have a kid. We already had a kid, but he's actually going to be on the outside, and, and we got to do something with him. And I can remember, man, we had Austin. Actually, Lori had Austin. I stood there and cheered her on while they cut her stomach open. Uh, but but we had Austin, and, and you're in the hospital there for a couple days, and man, you're learning how to change a diaper, and you don't, what's that cry mean? And, and, and then all of a sudden, they say, okay, it's time to get going home. And they wheel your wife out to the car and, and check the car seat because you're an idiot and you probably didn't even put the car seat in right. So they make sure your kid's not going to die on the way home. And then they put your kid in the car seat and you have to pull out of there without a nurse. You don't have anybody that goes with you. I, I remember that feeling of like, wow, we, we have a kid now. What are we supposed to do with this kid? We're, we're supposed to raise this kid? And, and so, man, we were so excited about having a kid, and now we had one, and it was like, man, it, what do we do with this? And, and maybe you can relate with that on different levels in your life. Here, as we've, as over the last nine weeks, we have pursued something as a gathering, and, and here's what we've pursued. We've pursued ripping away all of the filters that we put on Jesus. Some of them are filters that we put on him ourselves. Some of them are filters that have been put on him because of how we were brought up. Some of them are filters because of maybe bad teaching that we were given. But we have pursued as much as we could in the last nine weeks this idea of how can we tear away all of these filters and really look at who Jesus is. And that's been our goal over the first nine weeks of City Walk Church. And now that we've done that, we've, we've taken some time to try to pull away some of those filters. What do we do with it? Like, like what's the way forward now that we have unfiltered Jesus? What do we do with this unfiltered Jesus that we have pursued finding? In, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is... He's kind of talking with some of his guys and in Matthew chapter 16, and I feel like this is a great place to start as we begin to think through. Now, what do we do since we have this unfiltered Jesus? What do we do with this? How do we move forward? Well, Jesus had some very insightful things to say to some of his guys in Matthew chapter 16. And if you have your Bible or you can go on the app, uh, you, can, you can find this. Matthew 16, verse 13, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Like, hey, guys, what's the word on the street about me? What, what do people say? You know, I know, I know I've, I've heard some things, but, man, what's the word on the street? And so his guys, his disciples, they said, hey, some say you're John the Baptist. Okay, well, all right. Others say Elijah. 
and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. All good. Like These are all good comparisons, Jesus. These are some of the things that people are saying. And then Jesus turned to his guys and he said, but who do you say? Okay, I, I get what the guy's word on the street is, but, but you've you're been with me. You've seen me. You know what the unfiltered Jesus looks like. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, kind of the leader, kind of the, the biggest mouth in the group, he usually would speak first. He speaks up. He says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the anointed one. You're the one the, the Old Testament prophets pointed to. You're the savior. That's what he was saying. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood was, has not revealed this to you. Peter, you're not this smart. You, you didn't come up with this on your own. He, he says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. They shall not overpower this rock that I've talked about. And, and what's the rock that he's referring to? Some people think, oh, it was Peter. That's not what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying, hey, Peter, on you I'm going to build my church. What, what Jesus was referring to was the statement, the truth that Peter had just said. He said, Peter, this truth, this rock that you've just shared, this idea of me being the anointed son of God, this truth is what I'm going to build my church on and nothing is going to overpower it. Nothing's going to overpower it. Political power is not going to overpower it. Culture is not going to overpower it. Anything that happens in history, it's going to try to be stamped out. And nothing's going to stop this movement that's built on this statement that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Nothing's going to stop it. Death won't stop it. The Crusades won't stop it. The Inquisition, crazy religious people won't stop it. Nothing is going to stop this movement that I call the church. Not even the power of hell itself will be able to stop or overpower this movement that I'm going to start that is going to be built on the truth that I am God's son and I am the Christ, the son of the living God. Nothing's going to stop it. And as Jesus continues to talk to his guys, and, and over the next few kind of times with them, he, he makes clear to them that, guys, you are going to be my representatives. You're, you're going to be, you're going to be the beginning of something you don't even understand. It's going to be called the church. And the church will be my representatives to the world. And the church is going to push this movement forward. And when we say the word church, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about a group of people that are literally all over planet earth that are moving this idea, this truth of Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world forward. And Jesus says, nothing's going to stop it. And, and Jesus, if he, if he was here today, he'd say, hey, church, get out of here and go be me to the world. That's what his idea, that's what his, his statement would have been. See, Jesus knew that people were going to try to complicate this thing. 
He knew that people were going to try to make him be something that he never was. And Jesus says, hey, on this truth that people are going to try to complicate, they're going to try to water it down, on this truth, the church, my body's going to move this thing forward and nothing will stop it. Because this thing is going to be about one idea. And in John chapter 13, and we've looked at this before, Jesus, he lays out what that one idea that the church was to be about was. And he, he knew ahead of time that people were going to try to make it a lot more than this, but, but Jesus says, hey, here's what this whole thing is going to be about. This is what's going to move this thing forward. John chapter 13, verse 34, it says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have your candidate in office. No? What, what does it say there? If you have what? You have love. If you have love for one another. Jesus says, this is what this, this idea, this one focus of taking the example of love that I've showed you, and I'm going to show you because he hadn't even died yet, so they hadn't even seen the ultimate example. This one idea, if you will take this and you will imitate me, this is what is going to make this thing move forward. This is what is going to help people know that you're my followers if you love one another. See, this is what's going to change the world. And what you know what? They believed him. They, they believed him and it did change. They, they took this disruptive message and dismantled an expired religious system. Literally, the temple came down. There, there were... Uh, Literally, there were, there were thousands upon thousands of people that early on, when Jesus went to heaven, when the disciples just began to share this message, that people started coming by the thousands, and it hasn't stopped. Today, one-third of the world worships a Jewish carpenter that never went farther than 30 miles from where he was born in his whole life. See, this idea of loving the way Jesus did and being part of a body that moves forward his message is all built on his example of love. And, and it's, it's what has moved this thing forward because these guys at the very beginning, they had no political power. They had no political power. All the things that, that you would think you would need to have to create a movement that 2,000 years later would literally touch a third of the world, they had none of it. All they had was this idea and example of love that they were supposed to follow, and they did, and Jesus brought the power, and things began to change. But here's, here's the thing. They had a pretty big advantage on us because they had seen Jesus. They didn't have to wonder what the unfiltered Jesus looked like. They hung out with him. 
They watched him. They spent time with him. And what we have done over the literally thousands of years since this happened is we have layered Jesus with different layers because we were not with him. We didn't see him. And so we've made him what we want. And people have walked away from a Jesus that doesn't even exist. And some of you are here, and maybe that was you. Maybe you walked away from the church. Maybe you walked away from the Bible because you were walking away from a Jesus that somebody created that isn't even the Jesus of the Bible. And these guys, early on, they they began to follow the unfiltered Jesus' example and take this love and, and this passion that he had for people to the world and it began to change the world through some of the most crazy persecution you can imagine see instead of ripping away filters what happens in our world today is we watch people walk away from the church and we blame the culture like oh the culture is just so bad out there Man, uh, people are walking away from the church. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. It's just getting so bad out there. And and all the while, we, we forget that Jesus' promise hasn't changed. The promise he made that, hey, on this truth of me being the Christ, the son of the living God, this truth that's going to change the world, it hasn't changed. And Jesus didn't stop being God, and he didn't stop moving things forward because our culture got bad. But yet we're, hey, we just kind of, yeah, we're, we're, we're losing now because eh, just culture's rough. And, and which is kind of comical. Because the culture in the first century was pretty bad. See, I don't, I don't think anybody has come up to your door recently and taken you and wrapped you in an animal skin and then fed you to wild dogs. I, I don't think that's happened to you. I don't, I don't think that anybody has, and I, I haven't heard, no, nobody's come to my door and said, hey, I, I need to light my track, so I'm going to take you and your family, and I'm going to put you on poles, and I'm going to light you on fire. That, that's what was happening in the first century, so when we start to like, oh, the culture's so bad, that's why we're losing, it's like, maybe it's not the culture, maybe it's us, because the culture's always been rough. But the way forward is to whatever culture you're in to follow Jesus' example and love the way he loved. And when that happens, this movement cannot be stopped. Not because we're so great, but because that's what Jesus promised. And so the invitation to the church is is simply follow my example. And so we have a choice. Here's what we do know. Jesus' message will continue to impact the world. It's unstoppable. So that, that's not whether we're on the team or not, it isn't going to stop. Our choice is simply this. Do we want in? Do we want in on what Jesus is doing? Because his message is going to transform lives. It's going to move forward. His kingdom's going to expand. And the question simply is, do we want in on it? Because it's going to happen. Because he promised it. See, there's going to be a bunch of people who have a relationship with Jesus and are in heaven, but had a really boring ride getting there. I don't want to be one of those people. I mean, I want to be in heaven. 
I just don't want to have a boring ride getting there. But, but we're, aren't we all tempted? Like, man, I've got my fire insurance. I know, I'm, I know Jesus. He's my Savior. I'm going to go to heaven. And it's so tempting just to kind of take it easy, blame the culture, pull away from culture and say, you know what, uh, I'm not going to be a part of anything. I'm just going to kind of ride this thing out comfortably until I get my place in heaven. And Jesus is saying, there's so much more to this than that. See, the church will impact the culture again. And, and let me give you a few things. When love becomes the only measure for how we define spiritual maturity. If we're going to get in the game and we're going to impact our culture, whether it's here in Yuba City or whether it's somewhere else in the, in the nation or the world, one of the things that we have got to come, come around is this idea that when we, when we define spiritual maturity, it has to be about love. I don't know where we've gotten off this. Somewhere we've lost this idea and we've replaced a heart of love for Jesus on a commitment to spiritual achievements. And so you, we literally go through life feeling good about ourselves if we read our Bible in the morning, even though we were a jerk to our kids later in the day. It's like, oh, but I read my Bible in the morning. But you were a jerk to your family, but you're okay with that maybe because you, you, you checked the box in the morning. Have you ever found yourself like... Well, I, I'm a gossip at the office, and I talk bad about people, but I'll be in church on Sunday, so I feel good about myself. Somewhere along the way, we've forgotten that this whole thing is based on how we love other people, how we follow Jesus' example in love, and not on what we can achieve for him. I, I don't know about you, but... Man, there's, there's times in my life I'm, I'm more concerned about my, my neighbor's lawn than I am their soul. And I don't think that's what this thing was about. And if we're going to impact culture again and, and really be a part of this movement both locally and, and throughout the world, we have to be people that define spiritual maturity by how we love people, not what we achieve for Jesus. Because what we achieve for Jesus is a very empty, empty feeling when you do it from a place of pride instead of a place of thankfulness and love for what Jesus did for you. See, this is, this is something that even in the early church, the Jews struggled with. Because they had, had kind of grown up in a scenario where it meant everything was based on achievements and the leaders that they followed, man, were impeccable on the outside, had it all together on the outside. And so they struggled with this new freedom that they had been given because of what Jesus had done on the cross. And so Paul addresses it in Galatians chapter 5. He says this, he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Like all the, the, all the things you grew up with, all the laws you had to keep, all the, the things you had to do, all the boxes you had to check, it's all summarized in one idea. And the idea is simply this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This was and is staggering to really think about. I mean, we're like, okay, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, I get that. But Jesus and the people that wrote hit Paul, they really meant it. That the whole law, all the things you tried to achieve to please God, it was all of it is summarized. And, and what trumps all of it is how you follow Jesus' example, loving other people. 
That, that's, that's what the whole thing's about. See, this, this kingdom that Jesus described, it's an upside-down kingdom. It's a disruptive kingdom than what people were used to back in this time. It's a kingdom where greatness goes last, where purpose comes from pain, and where devotion to God is measured not on the outside but on the inside. And this was so new to these people. And so as I thought about us, when, when love is our measure for spiritual maturity, here's some things that we'll see in our life. Because this is a really good question. Like, okay, do I measure spiritual maturity by what do I achieve? Or do I find myself measuring it by how I love other people? Well, well here's some things to think about. When love is our measure for spiritual maturity, we will chase hearts, not behavior modification. Let me say that again. When, when love is our measure for spiritual maturity, we will chase hearts, not behavioral modification. If you're a parent, this is so hard. I mean, your, your kids in the, in the grocery store just going nuts. You're embarrassed. And honestly, at that moment, you ain't worried about their heart at all. You're worried about how can I shut the kid up so they stop embarrassing me. And, and, and when we and we don't do it on purpose, but, but many times our even parenting becomes behavioral modification. And kids know, you know what? Hey, if I just straighten up, if I just don't say the wrong thing in the wrong place, then I'm okay. And we never go to the heart. And when love is our measure of spiritual maturity, our first focus will be, let's get to the heart more than, hey, just straighten up. I don't care what's going on in your heart. See, when love is our, our measure for spiritual maturity, we will view and respond to sin through the filter of love because we know sin destroys people's lives. When love is our measure of spiritual maturity, we won't ask questions like, what's required or what can I get by with? Instead, we'll ask, what does love demand? When love is our measure for spiritual maturity, We'll set our picket signs down and we'll get on our knees with a bowl of water and we'll wash people's feet. See, Jesus, as he was leaving earth and he was saying, man, this movement, this body of mine, the church, it's going to move forward and it's, nothing's going to stop it. And for us to be a part of that, we have to make a commitment to base what we think of spiritual maturity not on achievement, not on what boxes we check, but more importantly, how we love others, how we follow his example. See, I don't know about you, but it's in my life, it's, it's really easy to, man, I am a box checker. Man, I love to, I mean, I love, I'm, I'm, this is how bad I am. <clears throat> when I get to my, like, office on Monday morning, I will actually put things on my list that I've already achieved that morning just so I can put a check by it. Seriously, it's, it's a sickness I have. Like, I'll, things that I've already, I'm just going to write that in there so I can check the box, because I get this feeling when I check the box. And sometimes we take that from maybe the business or our, our workplace and we bring that to our spiritual lives and we start to think, hey, doesn't matter how I love people, as long as I was able to check the two or three most important boxes, I'm good. And, and yeah, you, you might have your conscience be okay, but we're not going to change culture with that mindset. 
if we're going to, if, if the church is going to make a difference in the culture, first we have to make sure that our spiritual maturity is defined by how we love people. But, but the second thing, as we think about going forward with the unfiltered Jesus, we have to stop disconnecting Jesus from his body. The church is his body. We are the physical representation of Jesus Christ to the world. And here's, and I wrote this in my notes, we are jacked up, we are hypocrites, we lose focus, we do some weird stuff and deserve to be made fun of quite often. All those things are true. Like all the things that people accuse the church of, it's like, yes, that's us. I don't know why Jesus chose us to be his body. I wouldn't have chosen us. But for some reason, Jesus chose the, his body to be people that were his followers, and he called them the church. And they are jacked up because we're jacked up and we're part of it. But Jesus chose the, the people to be his physical represent. Why didn't you choose puppies? They're better than us. There's a lot of things cuter than us, but he chose people. To be his physical representation to the world. Ephesians 3.10. I like how the message version says this. Through Christians like yourselves gathered as churches. This extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about. See this. And maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've even said this. This idea that man I'm a follower of Jesus but I hate the church. It's not, it doesn't go well. That's, that just doesn't make sense. You, you miss something in your spiritual journey when you're not connected to what Jesus said was his body. And so this idea that, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, but, but I'm not a part of his body, it, it just, it'd be like somebody coming up to me and saying, hey, Chris, Man, I'd love to be a friend of you, man. I just feel like we connect. I want to, can we, man, I'd love to be close and let's be great friends. But man, I can't stand your wife. I can't even stand to be around her. It's like, that's probably not going to go well. Like, like, or somebody comes up to you and, hey, I, man, I love you. You're great. Appreciate you. But man, I hate your kids. In fact, I feel like punching them anytime they're around me. It's like if you feel that way, you're at least smart enough not to say that out loud because you know this. Man, if, if you want to be friends with you, then you got to love the people that you love. And if, man, if, if somebody wants to be close to you and they're jerks to your kids, that's not going to go well. If you're not living for Jesus on a day, you'll probably punch them. And because it, it, you just don't disconnect. You can't like, hey, I love you and I want to be your friend, but man, I, don't, I hate your wife. It just doesn't happen. But sometimes we do that with Jesus. We disconnect Jesus from his body and say, hey, man, I'm going to follow Jesus, but man, I hate his body. And, and, and Paul, as he was writing in Ephesians chapter 4, he, he said it this way. He said, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body. And then he says this. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. See, when, when this was put together, when Jesus put this plan together, he planned that, and this should encourage you. 
that he would be the head of the body and that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you, be, you are a part of his body. And, and he's the one that puts you in the part that he wants you. He's the one that empowers you. There's no JV, like body parts and varsity, like, hey, you're on the JV team, you're on the varsity team. No, you, everyone's special. And here's what the, this verse says. When everyone does their special part, it builds up the whole body. And so I don't know about you, but that should encourage you that, man, you have been chosen to be part of his body and you have a very special role that other people depend on. And when you do your part well, the whole body flourishes. And, and you, you've had this happen to you where have you ever like gotten up in the middle of the night and you... I can see, I'm good. And you start to walk maybe to the bathroom or get a drink of water and you forget that that chair was in the middle of the floor. You've done that and you kick something and and you say a word you probably shouldn't say at that point and and you you wake up and and your toe, I mean, is just throbbing. And and you think, well, man, it's just a toe. I mean... you can't even see my toe, and, but you understand, man, when that big toe's broken or messed up, it, especially for us guys, because we're wimps, man, it, it affects, like, we can't go, I mean, we're in trouble if our big toe's messed up, we can't walk, we're whining, I mean, it's, it's, we're in a rough shape, and that's just from our toe. You, you think, man, when you think of Jesus' body, maybe you're the toe, and maybe you're, maybe you're like, I didn't sign up to be the toe, but Jesus said, hey, you're the toe, and you are so important to the body, and when you do your part, you help everyone else do their part. And Jesus says, if you're going to make a difference in this culture, you have to not separate me from my body, and you have to be an integral part of my body, because this thing is going to move forward, nothing's going to stop it, and you're on the team. And that's exciting, That I mean, that... That's something that should get us excited every single day. That for whatever reason, Jesus chose us to have a special part in his body. And so really, each person and each local church has to decide, are we going to be a consumer or are we going to be a body of change agents? Are we going to be all about us? And all about our preferences and all about making this thing about what what, what makes us happy? Are we going to be part of a body that helps change the world in our city? See, and maybe you you maybe have been hurt by kind of like a consumer-driven church. Where you went to church and you were maybe investigating faith. Maybe one of your kids did this. And and they went and it was like, man, nobody really talked to them. Nobody really reached out to them. It was kind of really cliquish. And it almost seemed like everybody was there for themselves. And and for some, maybe you even walked away from the church like, is that what this whole thing's about? And, and that's, unfortunately, it's extremely dangerous when, when we, we come to church and we come to church with this idea that, man, well, I hope the pastor's good for me today. Hope he, hope he says some good stuff to get me through my week. Or, man, that worship leader was a little off. I wonder what they're going to do about that. You know, oh, man, the coffee was, it just wasn't, wasn't as good as it was last week. They need, to, they need to pick up their cream game because, man, the cream was a little chunky. That, well, that would be a problem if the cream was chunky. 
But, but you, you understand what I'm saying. And, and, and what we want to do at, at City Walk Church is we want comfort to become the casualty. Let, let me say that again. We, we want comfort to be a casualty. And here's why. Because we've got to create an uncomfortable church if we're going to tear down walls to Jesus. See, if it's going to be the safest place in the world for anybody struggling with anything, then it's not always going to be comfortable for the people that are already inside. You're not always going to sit next to somebody that does life the way you do. And it's going to be uncomfortable, but it has to be uncomfortable. It has to be because we are the body of Christ. And this is about making a place that's safe and welcoming for anybody that's struggling with anything. And so with that, if people are really going to be able to leave their mask in the car and not have to wear a mask in and pretend, and they're going to be able to really be who they are, it's going to be uncomfortable. And I hope it is. See, if this is going to be welcoming and accessible for every imaginable person, for the skeptic, for the cynic, for the gay, for the straight, for the white, for the black, for the transgender, for the Republican, for the Democrat, we have to be the body. We have to be okay with being uncomfortable because this, the message was never get your life together and then come. The message was, God so loved the world that he came. And if we're going to follow his example, we can never, never, never separate Jesus from his body. We have to understand that we are an integral part of his body. And we're okay being uncomfortable because we follow a Savior who sat down with prostitutes, extortioners, pimps, and you fill in the blank because he came to seek and to save those who were lost just like us. And in order for us to represent him well, we got to hang out with some people that maybe don't make us feel as comfortable as we want to feel. And, and if, if, if you're here, man, and that's not you, I get it. I, maybe, you probably don't want to come to this church. Because I hope that there's a day that these seats are filled with people that are very unlike me. And I hope that there's other campuses and churches that are planted from this body all up and down the West Coast in places where people are really not like us. But they need the hope of Jesus, and we want to be in the game. We want to be a part of it. We don't want to get to heaven and have a boring ride. We want to be a part of what Jesus is doing. And so if we're going to be a church and if we're going to be an individual that impacts culture we have to be a place that is that makes spiritual maturity the measure love we have to be a place where we don't disconnect Jesus our power source the head of the body from the church and lastly we have to be a place that doesn't fight culture but engages culture with the good news see in ancient Israel if you study the Old Testament at all you'll know that in ancient Israel, and in really a lot of the Old Testament, you hear things like this. Be holy, for I am holy. And it's even repeated in the New Testament. 
And in the Old Testament, what was happening was the nation of Israel was being created. And, and what God's instruction to them was, hey, I want you to be separated from everyone else. And so being holy means to separate yourself. I don't want you to mix in with other nations. I want you to be holy, to be separate. But now into the New Testament, that word holiness, it, it, it means to be set apart, but it means to be set apart in a new way. It means to be set apart to be light where there is dark. So we're no longer to be set apart where, man, we never hang out or never go places or never hang out with people that are unlike us. We are set apart to be light in a dark world. And that's what this idea of holiness means because when Jesus came, love invaded planet earth and salvation came to the world and you and I are now the temple that he resides in if you're a follower of Jesus. I said this earlier, God so loved the world that he entered the world. There, there's, there's no human illustration that would explain well how high Jesus was and how low he had to come to be here on earth with us. Like, you can't illustrate that. We won't understand this ever until we are see him face to face. There's no way to understand how high Jesus was, how holy he was, how separate he was, and how far he came to be here with us on earth. And, and his desire for us, if we're going to be his representations, is that we not fight culture, but we engage culture with the good news. And we bring the good news and purpose to every area of culture, to art, to literature, to music, to industry, to business, to TV, wherever God puts us, that he comes with us and the good news comes with us. And with that comes purpose. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. That word seek is pretty, it's an active word. If you've ever lost your kid, you understand what the word seek means and you understand what it means actively. Like if you've lost your kid, unless your kid's an awful little kid, maybe you're like, actually, I, like, I appreciate the 10 minutes by myself. So I'm going to let him run around. I'll find him one day. Uh, but probably that's not what's happened. Like it, but I remember when I was a little kid, and you, you'll laugh at me for, a, for a, probably for a while after I tell you this, but my mom was one of those, like overprotective, and then what's like farther to the right of overprotective? Whatever that is, my mom was farther to the right of that person. Like that's, that's my mom. And so this was the, the time when all these shows were on TV, like Unsolved Mystery, like when you were a little kid, you couldn't watch these shows before you went to bed because you were scared. And, and I told all these, so my mom, all these documentaries that, that, you know, made my mom scared. And so my mom, she, very protective, when we would go into a store, I prayed to God that I wouldn't have to go to the bathroom uh, when I was uh, in the store. And so, man, I tried to hold it. But, man, if I came to a spot, I had to go. I had two options. And this wasn't when I was a little kid. I'm talking like older elementary I had two options. One was extremely humiliating, and that was, you can go to the ladies' bathroom with me, which, hey, 10-year-old boy, that's a little humiliating. But the second option was as humiliating, but on another level. Mom said, you are absolutely good to go into the boys' bathroom, 
But while you're in there, you have to sing the whole time you're in there. And if I hear you stop singing, I'm coming in. So you're that 10-year-old little boy that's standing at the urinal singing, Jesus loves me. Loud enough to not embarrass yourself so much, but loud enough because you want your mom to hear because you know if she barged in, the embarrassment would even go to another level. So my, my mom was an extremely protective, so anytime she lost us, it was, it was hardcore, just like you are with your kids, man, looking, seeking, like, any, don't get in my way, I'm coming after my kid. And Jesus says, hey, this is what I did. I didn't come down here on vacation. I didn't come down here to take it easy and, hey, whoever I kind of meet, that's cool. No, I came down here seeking, actively seeking to save those who are lost. I came down here on a rescue mission. And as we seek to follow Jesus and be part of this movement, we have to be people that engage culture with urgency. I remember as a teenager, when I, I uh, went away to summer camp, and when I was at summer camp, I, and, and you know if you've ever been to summer camp, like you're, you're there and, and you start your little camp relationships, like you, you meet a girl or a guy at camp, and, and uh, you make promises like, ah, after this five days, this love we found here at camp will last forever. And we'll keep up with each other and, and you know, all that stuff. And, and then you get on your church van and they get on their church van and, and you never talk to them again. But this time we actually continued to talk. And this girl was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I was in Florida. And this, I was really old. I'm old. So like back then you had phones that had cords that hooked to the wall. And you didn't have cell phones unless you were like really, really rich. And so there was a thing called long distance. And so I began to call this girl every single day for a long time, and my mom came into me after about a month and said, guess what, you're getting a job. And so I got a job at a place called Cash and Carry. I was a bag boy, that's uh, what we were called, and I would be the guy that kind of got groceries together and put them in the carts for ladies and guys and took, the, took them out to their car and all that stuff. And when I got that job, another guy got a job there. Just about a month later, his name was Heath. And I remember Heath, he was my age, he kind of went to the rival high school across town, and me and him became great friends. We did some things even outside of work together, and, and Heath was a guy that didn't know Jesus as his Savior. Uh, he, he was a guy that, that, that just wasn't a big deal to him. He knew I did go to church, and that was kind of part of my life. And, and, and we would talk once in a while, and he'd come in on a Saturday morning and tell me about the craziness he'd do. And I, I might say, hey, man, you got to be careful, this kind of thing. But I never took time to share Jesus with Heath. I've worked with him probably hundreds of hours and never talked to him about Jesus. After I went away to uh, college, I came home on my very first spring break, and I had a friend come up to me, another friend that knew Heath and me, and he said, hey, did you hear what happened to Heath? I said, no, what ha I, I honestly thought he was going to tell me something funny that Heath had done, and I was going to laugh. He said, no, see, Heath got a motorcycle for his birthday, and I, I've talked to somebody that was actually there uh, since then, and, and basically what he was doing, he was riding his motorcycle in a field, and there some, for some reason there were some poles in the field, and he lost control of his motorcycle, and he hit this pole, and he, he hit it extremely hard, he fell to the ground. 
he, he got up for just a couple seconds and literally just dropped dead. And he was at that point probably 19 years old. And I remember when my friend Brian told me about this, the very first thing I thought was this. I never took time to tell Heath about Jesus. See, see I, I, was not, I was the person that, man, taking Jesus into the culture that I was in, I was afraid to do that. And because of that, my friend Heath, at least from me, Never heard about Jesus. And if someone else, hopefully someone else told him after I had worked with him, but, but probably not. And so my friend Heath is in a Christless eternity, and I had hundreds of opportunities to take Jesus into culture and bring purpose with the good news of Jesus, and I never did. And as we begin to close up this this series called Unfiltered Jesus. We want to be, if you're a follower of Christ, we want to be people that make a commitment never, never, never to put a filter on Jesus ever again. And allow the Jesus of the Bible, the the, the disruptive Jesus that brought love into places that, that you most people wouldn't even go into, that, that died for our sins, that sacrificed, that showed people what true greatness is, that we keep the filters off that Jesus and we follow that Jesus with the grace that he gives us. And, and that's what our commitment needs to be if we're a follower of Jesus. If you're here and you'd say, Chris, you know what? I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm maybe skeptical. I'm maybe here investigating faith. I'm not a follower of Jesus. Well, the very first week that we were in this series, I, I invited you to a, a simple invitation. I invited you to come and see Jesus. To, to not believe in him yet, to not, to not make any commitments, but just to come and see who the Jesus of the Bible really is. And my invitation to you now is, hey, now that you've come and see, now that you see who Jesus really is, my invitation to you now is, would you be willing to now give your life to this Jesus that loves you so dearly? Would you be willing to surrender your life to this Jesus and follow him? See, Bible tells us that Jesus is God's son. And Jesus was perfect when he was here on earth, and he came to earth for us. And, and, and we, while, while we try to do the right thing, we have gone against what's best for us. We have, the Bible calls it sin. We've disobeyed God. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin. And he came to love us and to draw us to himself. And the, the invitation is simply, would you be willing to surrender? You say, Chris, do I have to like clean up my whole life first? I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a great person. No. See, Jesus doesn't say, hey, get things all cleaned up and then come see me. Because if he did, none of us would ever come see him. He doesn't say that. He says, come to me, and when you come to me, I will work inside you to make you new. It's a process. 
Chris, do, 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 if I come to him, do I have to have all my questions answered about all the different things in the Bible? No. I wouldn't be able to come to Jesus because I still have questions about different parts of the Bible. You don't have to have every question answered to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus invites you into a relationship. As we close, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we, over the first nine weeks of our church, on purpose, started a series called Unfiltered Jesus. And our desire with this series was to tear away any of the filters, any of the layers that are not true about Jesus, the layers that have pushed us away from Him, the layers that have caused maybe some of your adult children to walk away, and just to say, hey, here's who Jesus really is. And we invited you in week one to just come and investigate. And now if you're here and and you're somebody that's skeptical and you've been investigating, man, my invitation to you is, hey, would you today be willing to surrender to Jesus? Would you be willing to say, yes, Jesus, I don't have all my questions answered. I don't have my life all together. I don't have everything cleaned up yet. But I believe that you are God's son. I believe that I have disobeyed. I have sinned. I have not done what is your best for me. And Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to start a relationship with you. I want you to be my savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, that's me. That's me. Man, I... I know I'm not perfect. I know I've done some things that are against what God says. I know I can't clean myself up because I've tried. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that he rose from the grave for me. And I want to have a relationship with him that will make me new from the inside out and will ultimately give me a home in heaven with him for all eternity. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, just in the quietness of this moment with no one looking around, you can talk to God right now. You can pray to God right now and invite Jesus into your life. It's not a specific prayer that saves you. It's not saying the words the right way. What saves us and what starts a relationship with Jesus is what we believe in our heart and we just express that to him by praying. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you'd say, today's the day that I want to surrender and start a relationship with Jesus, would you just in the quietness of your heart, would you say something like this to God? Would you say, dear God, I admit to you that I have sinned. I've disobeyed you. God, I believe that Jesus, your son, died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. I want to start a relationship with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning, you'd say, Chris, this morning I prayed and I asked Jesus to save me. Would you just slip up your hand? Just slip up your hand and say, this morning I prayed to receive Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody else? 
and put your hands down. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for loving us when we're unlovable. Thank you for inviting us into a relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for these that have prayed to receive you. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be an encouragement to them in their new walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.